Conner's tea. How are you? Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast, where we tell stories from Irish mythology and folklore and chat about them afterwards. In this series, we are looking at the classics of Irish mythology, telling and retelling them. If you don't know a lot about Irish myths, you might know these. And if you're just starting out, it's probably a good place to start here. This podcast is brought to you by our supporters at Patreon. You can join them over at patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales or you can make a one-time donation using the PayPal button on our website. Like, share, comment and above all, enjoy. And for now, Aaron, tell us a story. The Children of Lear Long ago in Ireland when the Tuar de Danon ruled these lands, they seemed to go in harmony with the ways of the world. They made laws according to nature, the trees, the bees, and the water ways. But after the sons of Mill came to the land of Ireland, well, things changed after the Battle of Taltu. And some say this tale takes place after that battle although some say it's in a time unknown. Whatever way it was, there was a darkness over the land and the Tuatha-dé had no one to rule them. The Dagda, the good god, he was stepping away from this place of rulership. Perhaps he had seen he had let the Tuatha-dé down in his leadership. Perhaps he was simply stepping aside because it was time. Either way, messages were sent to the north, the south, the east, west, to congregate in the centre, in the middle, where Ireland held its sacred centre. And so the five leaders of the Tuatha-dé came, not sure who would be elected to lead amongst them. Bov Darug, son of Dagda, was there. Ilbrick of Esrua, and Lear of Shifianaki, Medir the proud Brile, and Angus, he too, the son of Dagda, was there. It was between these men that the next ruler would be chosen. And between them they decided to give this leadership to Bov Darek, the son of the Dagda. They gave it on three accounts. For the sake of his father, yes. For his own sake, and he being very wise and sure in himself. And on account of his being the eldest son amongst the Dagda's children, which ruled out young Angus. But suddenly Lear stood up, furious not to have been chosen. He left without ceremony, without grace and without gratitude. Leaving like this was an insult to all who had gathered and an insult to the new leader, Bovdarek. They all looked at him then, and some offered to bring arms against Lear up in Shifunaki. They threatened with wounds of sword and spear for him not yielding obedience to Bovdarek, who had been given sovereignty over all of them to lead them through their darkness that would come. But Bovdarag held a firm hand and counselled that this would not be the way that it was done. Instead, they would sit and they would wait for any attack 
on chief and a key in Lear in his stronghold there, with many armies that were loyal to him in the north, and ferocious fighters they were. Clearly, he said, this would not be a wise thing to do. And as he was appointed the leader, he wanted peace in their time. Well, only a little bit of time went by, and a report came back from the north, from Sheaf Yanaki, that Lear's wife had died, and Lear was now alone, without any children in Sheaf Yanaki. This was unsettling for Bove Darek, but suddenly he was struck with a great idea, how to win over his loyalty. He called the three foster daughters, Eve, Aoife and Alva, the three daughters of the Oloil of Arran, and asked them if they would be happy to be married to Lear. They all seemed to agree, not having very strong opinions on the fact. And so Lear was invited down to take his choice amongst the daughters of Oloil of Arran. Lear met them all and was struck by all of their beauty and each one of them individual in their own right. Eve, the eldest, dark hair, pale skin, and a cold touch that seemed to warm when Lear got close. Almost like the warming of winter he was reminded of when gathered around a warm fire. Aoife, with her red hair, big brown eyes, and her pursed lips. Well, he reminded Lear of falling trees in autumn time the crunching brown and red underfoot. Alva, the youngest, was blonde-haired and beautiful just like the other two, as light as spring in her step, her energy voracious and infectious. But the right thing to do for Lear, he thought, was to choose Eve, the eldest. After all, he had struck a good friendship with her, and could think of no one better to warm him during the long winter that he would be setting into. And so the marriage was agreed, although Lear missed the stare from Aoife, a hurt stare, like daggers thrown at him and a coldness to her countenance. People muttered about when they saw her leave. She did not join in in the festivities to follow, a whole week and longer they stayed down with Bovdarag in Killaloo. And when they left this place, they left it with happiness and lightness in their hearts. Lear, now delighted with his new wife, well, they went back to Shifunaki and they celebrated there too. And it was not long until Eve was heavy with child. And it was not long until she gave birth to two beautiful children. Fenula and Eve were their names, twins born on the same day. Lear was delighted and doted upon Fenula and Eve, his first children, and with this wife by his side he saw no sadness on the horizon of his life. But when Eve gave birth to another set of twins, Fiacra and Khan, she did not survive, 
and she died sadly in Lear's arms, who was heartbroken. Fikra would be strong-armed and Khan would be brilliant, but Fanula and Ev, only young children at the time, took on the weight of their father's sadness. And so Fanula leapt up upon her father's knee, attempted to distract him. And it was the way that she smiled at him that he found a certain satisfaction in being with them. And just for the fact that Eve and Fanula could distract him much like Eve had distracted him from his first wife's death. He thought in the presence of these children he could find a way to fix his broken heart. The hurt that he had endured and the missing of Eve now seeming to hold fast in the tender touch of his child's hand on his cheek. And as he looked down at Fiacra and Khan, these two babies, well, he worried and wondered if he could be a father for these two children. But over the years of his time in Chief Yanaki, Bovdarag had come and visited and spent many a nights there. It was his duty, after all, to make friendships with all of the rulers across Ireland. And he had been surprised that he had developed a great friendship with Lear over the years. Of course, he was married to one of his foster daughters, but he still admired Lear for being a great father and a husband and someone who could be the leader of the Shi Fionaki, someone who was counted upon by all of the clans, families and armies alike if they ever needed Lear's attention. And so Bov Darig was very sad to hear that his own foster daughter Eve had died. But, considering there were two more foster daughters, he thought, why not ask if either one of them would like to marry Lear? To be a mother to the children who are now lost without a mother. To be a wife to Lear and a shoulder for him to lean upon when all of the duties of leadership and fatherhood fell too hard on his shoulders, would he have anyone to feed off? Aoife was only delighted to take this mantle. She decided she would marry Lear, and Bovdarag was happy to make the arrangements. She went up north and was married to Lear, and they were happy for a time. Lear's heartbreak was subsided only by the fact that his children were often in his presence. You see, the marriage was one that he'd done for Bovdarig. He thought it was a good idea to have his children have a mother for sure. But even after marrying Aoife, he still made sure his children were always by his side. For Fanula, it was not overly different to have this new woman in the house. She had taken up the mantle, although she was young to be the woman of the house, caring for her younger brothers and, well, making sure her father was never overly sad. And whenever he was, to greet him with a laugh and a cry, a joke, a trick, or to play a game. And oftentimes this seemed to work. When this woman came, Aoife, her name, 
Things didn't really change. They still slept in the same bedroom as Lear. They stayed in four beds separated from him until the morning. He would wake them and wrestle with them and play games until his duties took him away. Well, it was not long until Aoife took sick. Her brooding seemed to have taken her away. They had no idea that she was harboring such hatred for them. And Lear certainly had no idea that while he had been married to Eve and she gave birth to two sets of twins, Aoife had studied dark magic and worked with dark druids and been gifted a hazel rod with great power. And now that she had been in his home, in his bed, and now married to him, the ideas and suspicions never came to mind. He had no idea, no one could have, that she was harboring such a toxic hate. A hate that was born out of not getting the attention she wanted from Lear. And when she came out after a whole year from her sickbed announcing she was better, and so much better that she should go down to Bove Darug in Killaloo and bring the children with her, Lear was only delighted to have Bove Darug meet his children once more and give Aoife the chance to roam around Ireland with them. He thought this a good thing for sure. But he did not know what is going on in her mind. Fanula, however, had had a premonition. She had a dark dream. A strange thing came to her in the night. And she knew there was something wrong with this invitation. Something in her stopped her from voicing this, though. Was it just her childish worry that she would upset her father once more if she voiced her concerns? The darkness of her dreams, somewhere in between murder and hate, a viciousness and a toxic. She couldn't put words to it. She didn't understand what it was she had seen. And if she had, she was too terrified to voice them. So she climbed into the carriage with the horses, leading them down and away. Aoife, lead them down to Bove Darug with her most trusted servants with her. One night, when they pulled in camp, she talked to one of her most trusted. Conan, his name. And she asked him, was there anything that he would not do to help her? Conan replied that absolutely, no, of course, whatever she needed. Then she smiled and said, that's very good, because someone has taken the love from me, the love of my husband, away from me. Well, Conan near took out his sword and said, Anyone who has claimed this, I will do them in for you if you demand it. When she pointed to the children then, sleeping, Conan was shocked. Horrified with her suggestion, he put away his sword and said, That thing I will not do. That is a step too far for anyone to consider. He tried to go back to sleep himself, but tossed and turned in the night. Even Aoife took out her blade that night, so distressed she was, 
so full of hate and anger, wanting to do away with these four children. She had decided that it was simple and easy only to get rid of these children now would then give her husband the time to don her with all the affection she wanted. But as she took up the blade, something stopped her. Her womanhood or her blood tie to her sister and these children or a simple act that could not be done. And so she put the blade away fell into a restless sleep. They carried on till they came to Lukderi Vara the next day, but still the tormented, twisted thoughts were tumbling around Anifa's head and she pointed to the water instead and said to the children to climb in there and wash yourselves. They did as they were told, although Fanula held back and had a moment of realisation that something bad was about to happen, but Aoife forced her into the water and pushed her on. She came to the water's edge then. She took out her hazel rod. She watched the children bathing, and she poured out a vicious, angry spell upon them. She spoke those words that came to her, from her subconscious pouring out from the training she had dealt with those druids and something awful came out. And as the spell hit the water, it changed the shape of those children and Khan, with his strong arms and Fiercre looking at him couldn't believe the wings were sprouting out from their shoulders, feathers now turned white, long necks stretching high to the sky Fenula and Ev screamed, but their screams turned to calls, calls from wide beaks, feathers on them. They looked at one another in the shape of swans. They cried out pleadingly, and they saw Aoife coming towards them with a terrible look of hate on her face. She told them then with a grin on her lips that three hundred years they would be locked fast to Loch Derivara in this shape and in this form. For three hundred more years they would go to the Sea of Moyle in the north to be harried by the great winds that would wash them in the currents of Moyle between Erin and Highhild Alban. And finally, and for three hundred more years after that, they would spend out west in the Atlantic on a small island in Inish Glura. And there they would spend until a woman from the south married a man from the north. Both of them would have to be the children of kings and this she saw as never happening. She cackled a laugh then that dismayed the children as they looked at her grievingly and pleadingly something twisted in her heart maybe empathy made Eva turn back and cast one last spell to give these swans and these children their human voices back at least that way they could talk amongst each other she thought they could sing and spend their time talking and telling stories For a long time it would be for them to have full human understanding in the shape of swans. 
Fanula begged and pleaded, but there was no use. Aoife was already walking away. They cried that night in Lochderi Vara. Fanula couldn't comprehend the amount of time they would have to spend on this lake. And she gathered her brothers around her and she began to sing a soft song to them. A song that she had learned from her mother. Eve sang with her. And the two younger brothers sang too the words that they knew, at least. And in this they found some reprieve. They slept that night. Until they heard the rushing of horses' hooves and they looked up and there they saw a whole host of men carrying their father Lear. So they began to call and sing and shout and call for Lear to come towards them then. And when he came back down to the shore lake to follow the sound of his children calling, he was shocked to see these children now in the form of swans. He broke down to his knees asking for an explanation. Fenula didn't want to tell him almost, for fear of how sad it would make him. But she told him of the wicked deed that Aoife had done, those vicious words, how they had been locked fast here for three hundred years, how they would have to spend three hundred years in the Sea of Moyle, and finally in Inishglura, out the west, for three hundred more. And only when the tolling of bells were sounded for a marriage between a woman in the south and a man in the north of royal birth, then and only then would their curse be broken. Lear was so sad and so furious he couldn't comprehend what had happened. He told his children he would return as soon as he attempted to break this curse. He would go to Bovdarag. He went down to Killaloo as fast as he could bring himself to go. The messages that had brought him from his own she were messages from Bovdarag, telling him that his children were not with Aoife, who had been silent when she arrived. Lear had been terrified, but had worried so badly that his children might be in some form of danger, he had no idea that the spell that they were placed under was so awful and so terrible. When he came down to Killaloo, Bovdarig called to him. He demanded to know where Aoife was, and Bovdarag told Lear that she had been quiet. Not answering any questions, she had claimed that those children were not allowed by Lear's instructions to come and see Bovdarag. Of course, Lear told him everything. He told Lear he had met the children at Lokderivara, and Aoife had put a curse on them. Bovdarag took up his own hazel rod and marched towards his silent stepdaughter, Aoife was cowering now, ashen-faced and so terrified, she looked up and begged for life. Oh, you'll have worse than that. Much, much worse than your life being taken away. I'll give you far worse. Then he asked her a question, a simple one at that. Tell me now and tell me no lie, for you'll not be able to as I point this rod at you. 
Tell me what you fear the most. What is it be the worst thing to become? Aoife, after all her studying of the darkness and the worst things she could possibly consider or conceive of being, was a howling gale of wind that never ceased. And so, Bovdarag took his wand and turned her into that shrieking, howling wind. As she shrieked and called in dismay, her body evaporated and transformed into winds that blew and blew and blew. It howled all over Ireland, it howled to the west, and howled over Loch Derivara, where the children of Lear were gathered. They heard that call, that shriek, that gale overhead. They bowed their heads, knowing her fate was at least worse than theirs. Lear came back eventually, and he set up camp, and he claimed he would stay there with his children for as long as they were there. And this, the time of the ever-living folk, time still went by slowly. But they made their camps, and they made a whole village out of the camp. The shores of Loch Derivara were filled with the songs of the children of Lear. They sang and they learnt more songs than they knew they were capable of singing. Fenula and Ev, Fikra and Khan, singing beautifully in such harmony that anyone that listened to their song fell into a deep and restful sleep. All their worries and any sickness that was on them was taken away in the bright morning after hearing their song. And so... And this is how they spent their three hundred years with their father by their side on the shore. But when the three hundred years was coming to an end, Fenula looked up. She felt a gust, a gale of wind blowing in then and howling and shrieking. A sadness came to her heart as she told her father they had to go. Lear was desperate for them to stay, but they could not. They alighted and flew up north, following Fenula, Ev, Fekra, and Khan, until they came to the harsh currents of the Sea of Moyle, between Erin and Alban, and there they were in the rough sea that tossed them around. And there they agreed, whenever they would get split up, they would have a meeting point. This current in the moil sea was so strong they'd be buffeted up and along it. Carignarun was their meeting point, a rock that they could see sticking atop the northern coast and there they would go if they ever got separated. It wasn't long, of course, until a huge storm blew in, separating them all, scattering them north, south, east and west. The waves that crashed were as tall as mountains, and these swans that were used to fair weather and fine shoreline, calm and lovely lakes, were so unused to the harsh spitting salt water that their feathers seemed burned by it. The winds harried them and blew them, tossing them into the waves as tall and fierce and crashing around them like cliffs off rocks. And as they gathered themselves, they realized they were no longer together. 
Fanula was terrified to be split up from Ev. Fikra and Khan, now lost, all amongst the waves, all they could see was water. Everything around them was nothing. And finally, they managed to get themselves back to carry their run. Fikra being the last to see his brother and his other brother and his sister there at last united the four of them until the first of the harsh winters came in. And there they were so cold when they placed their padded feet on the rocks their skin stuck to it. Icicles formed from their wings they had to shake off. Burning, it was so cold their skin felt raw always. And so, Fenula at night would gather her brothers, Fikra under her right wing, Khan under her left, and Ev, her twin, at her breast, at her heart, with her neck wrapped around him, each one of them holding on for warmth, for something to sustain them, for this long, long time. And as the winds howled and shrieked, the cold northerly sea bashed and harried them, they spent some time to reprieve themselves by the shores of Erin, but always they would go back to the currents of Moyle, to be tossed and round, until three hundred years had passed. It did not go by fast. So slowly did that time go, but it did go nonetheless. And finally, when they lifted themselves away from that sea and flew down south, they were eager to look and wonder to find a track or a trace of their father or any of the two a day. And as they flew over Shi Finaki, in what is now known as County Monaghan, all of the small hills surrounding, they could not see their father's she. No track was found. They had left. All of the two a day gone underground, disappeared. What was now was the tolling of church bells. Not the bells to prophesize the end of this curse, Fenula thought. Just the bells of a new religion. And so... They flew out to Inishglora, and when they got there, at last they settled along a lake, surrounded by small hills that buffeted the rain and wind, and had so much more peace there than they had during their time in the Sea of Moyle. They began to sing once more, resounding all around the westerly coast, and all of the birds that heard them came and sang with them. And so the island itself became filled all of the birds that could be. And so they sang so well it became a famous island for anyone who was fishing off the west. They could hear these birds. They would tell the tale, the tale they'd heard so long ago, of the children of Lear. But their tale did not quite end just yet. A man named Mukamog sought them out, a man of faith and deep religion. Dressed simply, he rode his way to Inishglora, and there he found the children of Lear, singing with human voices, 
as the stories he had heard passed on from centuries, he couldn't believe his own eyes. And so he asked the children to tell their tale. Fenula, Ev, Fiacra and Khan, delighted to have someone to listen to their song with human ears, although the melodies were improved far better by the birds that sang with them. Mukamog listened to their stories of how they'd been born in Shifunaki with Lear and Ev, their beautiful mother, who taught them singing and songs, until the sad day when Fiacra and Khan had been born, and of course, the wickedness of their stepmother Aoife, and all that had transpired and passed since. Mokamog, well, he taught them everything that he knew, all of the Gospels and all of the stories passed on from the Bible. And he wondered when their three hundred years would come to an end. Fenula reminded him that it was not until a woman from the south, a princess or a daughter of a king, be married to a prince or a son of a king from the north, and the tolling of church bells would sound for their marriage. He wondered at that then, Mokamog, as he scratched his chin. Well, it was not long till they heard the tolling of bells, and Fenula's head turned to wonder if this could possibly be the end of their curse. But a man came towards them then. Largnin was his name. He arose out of the mist, coming down towards them with nine men next to him. He explained that he must bring these singing swans to his bride-to-be, Jok, who had heard the rumours of these singing swans and wanted them as her bridal gift. Largnin, who was obsessed with the idea of marrying Djok from the south, he from the north, well, it was a brilliant marriage and had to be fulfilled. Fenula's eyes went wide. When Largnin went to try and catch them then, he was shocked to see himself clutching feathers and nothing, no track or trace of the swans was left. When he looked up and down at the ground, he saw three old men and a withered old woman lying there, near death's door. Largnin stumbled back, and Mucknamog told him to get out quickly and tell his wife-to-be that she'd have no such present for her marriage. But he looked down at the children of Lear in their human form, and he wondered if he should baptise them and help them go to heaven. But just then, one of the she-mounds in Connacht opened wide, and a whole troop of the fae came blaring and singing with their music and their drums, and they marched across the water itself, and they came to the island of Inishglora, and they saw the children of Lear, they raised them up on their shoulders and they carried them through the beautiful setting sun, the Moimel, as they walked off into the distance. And there, in the setting of the sun on the wild westerly sea, Moknamog watched the fairy troop disappear into the veil between worlds. 
he wondered at this, and yet he wrote it down, and following the old customs of never harming, never distressing, or never causing hurt to a swan, he agreed that these children of Lear had done them a great service in casting their story upon the ears of all who had listened to it, for theirs was one of hardship, but theirs was one of beauty too, how they had survived it, how they had kept together. And although he was sad to not have his friends with him any more, he was at least light of heart to know the end of the fate of the children of Lear.